Well, good morning, everyone. Merry Christmas. This is Christmas week, the best time of the year, isn't it? Oh, I don't know. You guys don't seem very merry. Yeah, it's Christmas. It's the best time of the year. It's a, a time when we can rejoice, a time when we can remember Jesus' birth into this world. Before we get to the message, I want to give a huge thank you and shout out to our Hampers of Hope team for Nancy and her whole team for amazing work this week. They put together 185 hampers to bless so many families in our community. That's amazing. And thank you, thank you to you all who gave and volunteered and supported. Uh, and special thanks to Nancy Wilson as well for leading uh, that whole initiative. And we're so grateful that we can, uh, as a church, bless our community this way uh, and support families that are in need. And so many are touched by these hampers. Um, now, we're, we're going through the series called The Prodigal Christmas, and uh, last week, uh, Dr. Michael Krauss spoke uh, about, from the perspective of the prodigal son, and before that, uh, our elder John Cook spoke of the perspective from the unprodigal son or, or the elder brother, and very thankful for the different perspectives that they shared, and I trust that you were blessed uh, as well uh, through those messages. And today, uh, I want to talk a little bit about the perspective of the prodigal Father. So this third person uh, in the story. Uh, now, Doug read for us in Luke chapter 15 the first two stories uh, in, in, a, in a series of three stories about lost things. And so we see the story of the lost sheep, we see the story of the lost coin, and then we see the story of the lost son. Now, the lost coin was an inanimate object, right? The coin didn't know that it was lost, let alone how it could come back to its owner, okay? And so that's why the woman had to turn on a light and turn on or, or light a candle and, and search and look in order to find that lost coin. And it speaks to us about how the church, how we as a church need to be that light because there are people that don't know they're lost and don't know how to come back because they don't know that they're lost. And there can be areas in our life as well that are like that. There can be areas in our life that we don't know that are actually lost, that we can't see the lostness within us. And so we need the light of the Word of God, the light that, is sh that shines in our hearts to, for us to be able to realize and see, hey, I'm lost. I need Jesus. I need to be found. And God can shine His light into our lives and reveal to us the necessity of us to be redeemed. And then in the story of the lost sheep, now the lost sheep, it was an animal. He knew, the sheep knew that it was lost because it wasn't with his other fellow sheep. It was all by himself. And so the sheep was lost, but the problem was the sheep didn't know how to get back to the shepherd. And therefore the good shepherd had to leave the 90 and 9 and go and look and find that sheep that was lost. And so it speaks to us about, especially in this season of Christmas, how Jesus, the Savior of the world, the Son of God, came into this world as the good shepherd to seek and save the lost. And so he gave his life. We, we remember Christmas as a time when he was born, and we remember Easter as the time when he died to redeem humanity in order to seek and save the lost. And it's up to us as well to be those good shepherds along with Jesus to help seek and save uh, 
those that are lost. And, and there might be areas in our life where, like the sheep, we know that we're lost, but we need the good shepherd to save us. Where are you in this, in this series of these three stories? The lost coin didn't know that it was lost and didn't know how to get home. The sheep knew that he was lost but didn't know how to get home. The son, the prodigal son, knew that he was lost but also knew the way back home. And, and that can represent various stages in our life and various things that are go- going on in our life. And so we need to find our good shepherd. We need to know our Heavenly Father. And in this season of Christmas, can I encourage you that as we remember the birth of Jesus and as the world remembers the birth of Jesus, remember this purpose, that he came to save lost people, to draw people into a loving relationship with the Father and to give us hope for eternity. Can I encourage you, especially in this week, to share the story of Jesus, to be that shepherd, to be that woman that shines the light, to be like that father filled with love for his sons. Let's share the story of redemption. Maybe you know people in your life or maybe you're like the lost coin or the lost sheep or the lost son or one of the lost sons, because both of them were lost. Maybe you know people within your community, in your family, and in your your neighbors or in your workplace. This is the story of redemption. All of these stories, all of these stories that Jesus told in Luke 15, it's the story of redemption. It's the story of Calvary. It's the story of Jesus. It's the story of Christmas. In all of these stories, of how Jesus came into this world to seek and save the lost. For us, for humanity, to find a place in the family of God, to find a place to call home, to come back to relationship with God, to be loved and cared for, to be accepted. And this is our mission. This is the story of Jesus. This is the story of Christmas. And this is the story that we need to share in these days. Wherever you might be, whoever you might come across, whether it's the lost coin or the lost sheep or one of the lost sons, let's share the message of Christmas, especially this week. A few months ago, I spoke of the word sozo, which means salvation and healing, the Greek word for salvation and healing and restoration. And this is what Jesus wants to do in our lives. This is what Jesus wants to do this week particularly as so many people remember the meaning of Christmas, as we have an open door to share the good news of Jesus Christ and the sozo power of God to bring salvation and healing. I want, to, I want you to watch uh, the story of William Aton. William is one of our members here at Unionville Alliance, and William was at one time in a lost state. William was in, at one time like one of these people in the lost stories, but he encountered Jesus, the saving grace of Jesus Christ. Listen to it in his own words. About eight years ago, I got news that was devastating to me. You see, up to that point, 
I had been very healthy, and here I was told that I had stage four cancer, non-Hodgkin lymphoma. As you would expect, I went through a range of emotions with despair at the top of that list. But little did I know that I was about to embark on a journey that would ultimately lead to the greatest rescue in a person's life. First, I want to go back to a time when my life was what many would consider a picture-perfect life. A beautiful and healthy family, academically gifted children, a loving wife, and a career I could only dream of. I lived a materially abundant life, and there really wasn't much to complain about. In the midst of that, there was a growing sense of dissatisfaction within me that something truly significant was missing, but I didn't know what to do about it. I sought comfort in what I had until 2013 when I was diagnosed with cancer. At that time, I considered myself an agnostic and was actually proud to be a skeptic who only believed in things that can be proven. I am not one of those people who had blind faith, I thought to myself. I am an intellectual. But somehow, facing death humbled me enough that I was willing to examine the evidence for God. Then, I had an opportunity to pick up a book called The Reason for God by Timothy Keller. As I read it, I began to see that my belief system was not based on knowledge or thinking deeply about important questions, but it was rather shallow. I did not believe in God yet, but I came to the realization that it was not foolish to believe that there is a God. The book also presented the gospel, and I realized that if it was indeed true, then everything was at stake. I needed to know more, so I started to read the gospels. As I heard Jesus speak, I was amazed. The first thought that came to my mind was, how in the world did I not know about this all these years? Jesus diagnosed my condition perfectly, and I had never encountered anyone like him. As I became captivated by the person of Jesus, it compelled me to learn more about him, and I started to devour Christian books and online sermons. At a time when, logically speaking, it should have been difficult for me as I was going through chemo and not knowing what lied ahead, I was feeling an inexplicable peace and joy. It really made no sense. My understanding of religion until then was that it required us to follow certain rules or commands. But I could never live up to my own standard, let alone God's holy standard that I was now reading about. I understood that a good God cannot be both loving and unjust. He has to apply justice, just like in a court of law. Where does that leave me? A lawbreaker. There is no escape for me except that God does the unthinkable. He sends his own son, Jesus, to take the punishment I deserve. And Jesus amazingly saw me as being worth dying for at the hands of his own father. But God did more than take away my sins when I repented and put my trust in Jesus. He said he would come to live in me with his spirit in order to reveal himself to me, teach me and encourage me and gently restore my soul. As I began to experience all these promises of God in a tangible way, overflowing joy and inner peace soon followed in the midst of what had been the most difficult time in my life. So I got baptized in 2016. What an amazing journey it had been. This is not to say that things have been easy, but life with Jesus is so good, and I would not trade it for anything. I am actually thankful I had cancer because it brought me to Jesus and he's more precious than anything else. When Jesus ravishes me with his beauty, I want to become like him. I want to be filled with the Holy Spirit like he was, 
I want to sacrificially love and serve others like he does. I want to be bold, get gentle and humble like him. I want to come alongside him as he brings love and restoration to other people's lives. That brings ultimate meaning and purpose to my life and therefore tremendous joy. The only problem is that Satan wants to take my eyes off Jesus to an endless menu of distractions and idols, and he often succeeds. God has always drawn me back to him whenever I have strayed too far. Having tasted the goodness of God, I am always reminded that nothing else satisfies in the same way. We were indeed made for a relationship with God. Thank you, William, for sharing your story with us. Wasn't that amazing to see how God took William in a, in, in a state of lostness and really didn't even know that he was lost and finally had to take him through a, a real terrible trial to bring him to Jesus? And so we're calling this our Sozo Stories, Stories of Salvation and Healing. And if you have a story to tell, please can you connect with Keisha? Uh, she's our creative arts director, and so she'll love to get in touch with you as we uh, want to tell more stories to share God's amazing grace uh, in our lives. And so William said something at the end. We were made for relationship with God. And this is what the story of the prodigal son is all about. The story of the prodigal son is all about relationship. Jesus told the story of the, of the lost coin uh, and some people have a very strong relationship with money, and so maybe that connected with some people. Jesus told the story of the lost sheep, and some people have a very strong relationship with their pets and animals, and maybe that resonated with people. But Jesus had to go one step further. In order to reveal the greatness of the Father's love, in order to reveal the, the, the depth of relationship that He desires us to have, he had to tell one more story to emphasize the bond, the strong bond between a father and a son. And that's why at the beginning of the story of the prodigal son, it says, after telling the story of the lost sheep and the lost coin, it says, as he begins to tell the story, it says, to illustrate this point further, to punctuate his point, to emphasize what he really wanted the people to see, he tells the story of the prodigal son in order to demonstrate the necessity, the depth of relationship between a father and a son. And two weeks ago on December 5th, I became a father. I had so many emotions and so many things. This is Joel Christopher Mills. He's doing well. He's giving you the peace sign because he's peaceful, right? He's doing good right? So many different emotions filled my heart that day, and, and still till now. And I, I was thinking to myself, I was, was driving into church, and I said, I don't know how I'm going to keep all my emotions together because of, because of what, it, what it meant. The experience in my heart of becoming a father to this little guy, the, the extraordinary love that filled my heart, the willingness to do anything for him. He's so helpless right now, He's in need of so much help every moment, every minute, every second. That's why God created us as parents, so that we can care for little children. And, and so that 
there'd be people around him that would love him. And in the same way, we are so helpless and in need of God's love and care and support and help from our Heavenly Father. Thank you to, to all of you that have supported Laura and I through this journey as well, and so many that have prayed for us and supported us in, in wonderful ways. Thank you so much. We have felt it, and we are very appreciative and grateful to the Lord. But in this story of the prodigal son, I, I want to just highlight a few things, three things in particular, that I think is very significant as we see the perspective of the prodigal father and understand really the relationship that the Heavenly Father wants to have with us. The first thing is that our God is a father and that he is good. The stories of the lost coin and the lost sheep were not enough to illustrate the heart of redemption. Jesus needed to tell a further story that had a father in it so that he could reveal the heart of the father to us. And throughout the gospels, we read about Jesus's relationship with his heavenly father, with our heavenly father, and he wants us to have that same kind of relationship. In Matthew 3 and verse 17, when Jesus was taking baptism, a voice from heaven, the voice of the father came and said this, this is my dearly loved son who brings me great joy. This was the relationship between the father and the son, not based on good deeds, not based on good works, not based on anything that Jesus had done. This happened before Jesus did any miracles, before Jesus did any healings, before Jesus did any teachings, before any of all of those things that happened. The voice of the Father came down and said, this is my beloved Son. And we need to understand that the relationship that God wants us to have with him as our father is not based on good deeds, is not based on good works, it's not based even on obedience. It's based on the pure fact that he is our father and we are his children. That's it. I have this great amount of love and joy in my heart for my son Joel, and all he does is poop and pee and sleep and eat. Has he done anything to earn my love? No. And this is the crux of the story of the prodigal son. And this is why both sons were lost. Because one son was lost in leaving his father's home. The other son was lost in his father's house because he, he wanted to earn his father's love. He found his home based on his righteousness, on his good works, on his deeds. And that your brothers and sisters, is, is, is in a state of lostness because you don't understand the real reality of God's love for us. The love that the Heavenly Father had for Jesus was way before he did any good works or good deeds. The fault of the older brother was him trying to earn his father's love by his good deeds. His righteousness was based on his works, not on his father's love. And we can fall into that trap very easily by trying to do good things to earn the Father's love, but that's not what the Father's love is all about. God is our Father, and He is a good Father. This is what sets Christianity apart from every other world religion, is the aspect of God being our Father. Jesus, in the, in the Lord's Prayer, He taught us to pray, Our Father who art in heaven, 
He taught us to relate to God as a father. In Jesus' high priestly prayer, we get glimpses into this conversation between a father and a son. In the Garden of Gethsemane, when Jesus was in great agony, we see Jesus pleading and praying with his heavenly father. It's the father-son relationship that best describes the intimacy, that, uh, the intimacy of love that is within the Trinity. Even better than the relationship between a shepherd and the sheep, even better than the relationship between the woman and the coin, it's the relationship between the father and the son that best describes the intimacy that God wants to have with us. It best describes the unconditional, unmerited, agape love that Jesus has, the father has for us, and that he wants us to experience. And the nature of the father is that he is good. In the story of the prodigal son, we see all the things that the father does, that he divides up his property to give to his children. He divides up his wealth to give to his children. He, he welcomes the younger son back with open arms. He has a feast for the younger son. He kills the fatted calf. He gives him a robe and a ring and has a great celebration and puts sandals on his feet. And he goes out and he comforts the older brother in order to bring him back into the house to join the celebration. The nature of the father is good, as you can see all of these things. But one line in this story really stuck out to me. That's in Luke 15, verse 17. Look at what he says here. When he, the prodigal son, the younger son that went astray, when he finally came to his senses, he said to himself, at home, even the hired servants have enough food to spare, and here I am dying of hunger. Do you know what I see in this verse? I see the goodness of the Father. I see the nature of goodness in the Father. He remembered, the son remembered the good nature of his father, that his father wasn't harsh, that his father wasn't stingy, that his father didn't mistreat others. But what was the son's recollection of the father? That even the hired servants in my father's house have enough food to eat. Look at me, I am a hired servant feeding the, 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 the pigs of this man that has hired my services, and I don't even have food to eat. This boss of mine doesn't give me any food to eat. I can't even eat the slop that the pigs are eating. But in my father's house, his hired servants have more than enough food to eat. Because what goes, you can say a father can be kind to his own children. That can be without, without a doubt. I feel that for my own son. You can say a father can be good to his own son, but can a father be good even to the hired servants? What, how does the father react to those people that he's hired? Here the nature of the father comes out. The nature of the father is that he is good. That he treats even the hired servants well. That even they have enough food to eat. And so in this state of despair, in this state of lostness, in this state of not knowing what to do, to coming to, to this, this, the, the bottom of the barrel of his life, what does he remember? The good nature of his father. The kindness of his father. Not to him, because he would have seen it over and over again. But what stuck out to him, what he remembered, was the kindness of his father, even to other people. The kindness of his father, 
even to the hired servants. It was the good nature of the Father. And this is what's so important to realize about our Heavenly Father is that He is good. A time came when people came to Jesus and said, good master, what should I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus looked back and He said this a couple chapters later in Luke 18, why do you call me good? Only God is truly good. This is the nature of the Father is goodness, not corrupted by ill intentions and bad motives, but sincere, pure goodness. And that's what he has for all of us as well. He truly is a good, good father. And it's this story that helps us to see the nature of the father. The nature of the father that Jesus talks about here is the nature of the heavenly father that he wants us to know as, to know as well. In this, in this time of Christmas, oftentimes you might hear Handel's Messiah. Colin, you sing Handel's Messiah almost every year. Did you sing it yet this year? Not yet. Oh, because of COVID, unfortunately, right? Handel's Messiah. If you've never heard Colin sing it, you should. I heard it a couple of years ago. It was awesome. Um, one portion of Handel's Messiah is taken from Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 9 and verse 6, right? It's a prophecy of Jesus. What does it say? For a child is born to us, a son is given to us, the government will rest on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Why does it say about Jesus? that he's the everlasting father. Because it's the nature of the father. It's the good nature of the father that even Jesus had. It's the good nature of that heavenly father that he wants us to experience. It was the nature of the father, the good nature of the father that Jesus displayed when he was here in this world. When he walked in this earth, when he came here, he displayed that good nature of the father. Number two, you can't do anything to change, diminish, lose, or increase the Father's love. Whatever the sons did, the Father's love did not change. When I think about Joel, I feel the same. I, 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 I don't think he could do anything to earn more of my love, or he could do anything to, to unearn or dissuade that love. Right? In, in, in 1 John chapter 3 and verse 1, it says, See how very much our Father loves us, for He calls us His children, and that is what we are. See how very much the Father loves us. We can't do anything to take away the Father's love, and at the same time, we can't do anything to earn more of the Father's love. And we need to understand that because otherwise we get into this system of trying to earn more of God's love, do good works to earn more of his love. And that was the problem of the older brother. For the younger son, the father gave, him, gave to him regardless of his rebellion and his disobedience. Dr. Krauss last week, he, he did an excellent job of, of uh, contextualizing this for us in the culture of the day. Uh, if you didn't hear the message, I encourage you to go back and listen to it. Because for the culture of the day, the request by the younger son was as good as going up to the father, spitting in his face and saying, you're dead to me. When the, when the younger son came and said, give me the portion of my inheritance, that was as good as saying, I want you dead. Get out of my life. I spit in your face. I don't want to have anything to do with you. But did that change the father's love for his son? No, it didn't. That statement 
didn't deter the father from loving his son. In Luke 15, verse 18 and 19, the, the son at his wit's end, he says, I will go home to my father and say, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you and am no longer worthy to be called your son. He said, I realize what I have done. I have spit in the face of my father. I have wanted him dead by the request that I have made. So the only way that I can go back now is not back as a son, but let me go back at least as a slave. Because I know at least, as a hired servant, at least my father, his good nature will still be good to me. I see how he's treated the others. And at least if I can get that, forget about being a son, at least if I could get a little bit of his goodness, because I know his nature, I know his kindness, I know his character, I know who he is. Maybe not as a son, but at least as a hired servant, even that is more than enough for me. And I'll be content. But the father wasn't having any of it. He wouldn't even listen to that. He didn't even want to say, no, okay, I'll accept you back as a hired servant. He said, no, come back. He accepted him, not as a servant, but as a son. He put a, the best robe uh, on him, which was probably his own robe, the father's robe, to denote welcoming back into the house. He put a ring on his, on his finger. Probably that was like the family signet that represented acceptance as a son. He put sandals on, on his feet. As, as Dr. Krauss shared last week, the, the sandals represent uh, that sons and, and people in the family would wear sandals and the servants wouldn't. Every indication that the father gave to his son was that he was being welcomed in as a son and not as a servant. All the good works and righteous deeds of the older son didn't change the father's love for him either. It didn't cause the father to love him more. His love wasn't based on what they were doing. And here's the important part. The father sees you more than he sees what you do. And I'll say that again. The Father sees you more than he sees what you do. And it's so important to remember that. He calls you son. He calls you daughter. And that's more important than what you do. When, when we come to God in repentance acknowledging our sinfulness, acknowledging our lostness. We are brought into the family of God and we become children of God. That identity in and of itself is so important. For these two sons, the identity that they were sons were more important than the rest. For the prodigal son, the identity that he was a son more than his sin and more than his lostness, although God wanted, the father needed him to repent of that and come back home, the identity that he was a son was more important. For the older brother, the identity that he was a son was more important than all of his good works and all of his good deeds and saying, Father, I've obeyed everything that you've given me to do. And that identity is so important. Next, next Sunday, Boxing Day, we're going to unpack this a little bit more and we're going to talk about what does it mean now to be sons and daughters in the house of God? What does it mean now to be children of God now that we've come back into the house of God. Jesus in this story radically redefines salvation for the Pharisees and the religious people of the day who were holding on to their righteous deeds and personal goodness. They thought that their righteous deeds and personal goodness was enough for them to get to heaven. They thought that their righteous deeds and personal goodness was enough clout or credit for them to be accepted by God. And unfortunately, they were deceived. 
And Jesus spoke directly to them, and he redefined salvation for them through this story. We can't diminish the Father's love for us, and we can't increase it because it's not based on what we do. It's based on who we are. And our identity in Christ is so important. And unfortunately, in the world today, many people find their identity not based on what Jesus says about them, but based on what they do, who they are, what they can accomplish. And starting in January, we're going, to, we're going into the series on identity, and we're going to be talking a little bit about what our identity is in Christ. And as we go through this prayer challenge, and I want to encourage you all to sign up for that prayer challenge that's starting on January 1st for 10 days. We're going to look at a couple of those identities in that prayer challenge and pray through that as well. Look at what he says in, in 1 John 4, in verses 7 to 10. Dear friends, let us continue to love one another, for love comes from God. Anyone who loves is a child of God and knows God. God showed how much he loved us by sending his one and only son into the world. This is what we celebrate at Christmas time. One and only son into the world so that we might have eternal life through him. This is real love. Not that we love God. This is real love. Not that we did some good works. Not that we reciprocated the love. Not that we did something to earn the love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. This is the love of the Father. This is the love that he wants us to experience. This is, this is the story of Christmas. This is the story that he wants us to understand in these days. This is the story that he wants us to share with others. This is the story of the love of God that radically redefines what salvation is, that we are saved not because of who we, uh, not because of what we do or the good works that we have, but we are saved because of who Jesus is and what he's done for us. It's based on his love, not ours. Number three, and the last thing, is that the Father is hopeful even when we're not. I want to tell you one thing today. We're living in a crazy world right now, right? COVID is throwing us, throwing us another curveball, right? Everyone's worried and scared about Omicron and what's going to happen here and what's going to happen there. We don't know what the future entails. We've been going through this for almost two years now. But I want to tell you one thing, that there's more hope for you than you can ever imagine. That Jesus gives us great hope. There's more hope for you. There's more hope for your loved ones than you can ever imagine. And if there's a situation that you're in today that you feel lost, if there's a situation that you are in today that you feel is hopeless, let me tell you that the Father has more hope for you than you can ever imagine or think about. In this season of Advent, hope shines brightly because of Jesus. Let me say that again. In this season of Advent, hope shines brightly because of Jesus, because of his great love. Luke 15, verse 18 and 19, we read this, how, how the son said, I'm going to go home to my father, and he, he didn't have any hope to be received as a son. He thought maybe at least as a hired servant. He didn't think that he could be a son again. But look at what the next verse says. So he returned home to his father. And while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming, filled with love and compassion. See the nature of the father. Filled with love 
filled with compassion, filled with goodness. This is the son that spit in his face and said, you're dead to me. This is the son that looked right at him and said, give me my inheritance. I don't care about you. I just want your money. Look at the response of the father. He's running to his son, the one that despised him, rebelled against him, rejected him, the one that hurt him. And the father here, the goodness of the father, the nature of the father, the love of the father, the compassion of the father comes running to him. He ran to him. And as Dr. Krauss said last week, like older patriarchal men in that culture and that society didn't run. They didn't do these sort of things. But he ran to his son. He embraced him and he kissed him. The father ran to his son. Can I say that again? The father ran to his rebellious son and embraced him and said, welcome. If you think there is no hope for you, if you think there is a situation that is hopeless, let me tell you, our heavenly father has more hope than you can ever imagine. You see it in this story. The son's only hope was, I hope at least I could be a hired servant. I hope at the very minimum, please, if you would be merciful, look at what I did. I can't believe what I did. Oh, stupid me. Why did I do that? He just wanted to be a hired servant. What did the father do? Ephesians 3, may you experience the love of Christ, though it is too great to fully understand. We can't even comprehend it. Then you will be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. Now all glory to God who is able through his mighty power at work within us to accomplish infinitely more than what we can ask or think. Okay, right now, think of your hardest situation. Think of the most hopeless situation. And let me tell you, God has more hope than you have right now. The way you want that prayer answered the way you want that situation changed, the way you want to see the Father's love work in that area, God is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we can ask or think. Or as it says here, accomplish infinitely more. The son came back and said, I hope at least I could come as a hired servant. The father said, forget this hired servant business. You're coming as my son. You are restored as my son. He is able to do much more than we can ask or think. This is the hope of Christmas. This is the message of the gospel. This is the story of Jesus. This is the love of God. This is what changes and transforms lives. Not good deeds or good works, but the love of Jesus that fills us and overflows us. The love of the Father that consumes us, that touches us in ways like we've never experienced before. This is the message of Christmas. This is the powerful message that we have this week to share with so many people. Don't try to earn it. Don't do good works for it. Don't try to convince God that you've done enough to have it. Just go to your heavenly father. Because in Matthew he says, so if you sinful people 
know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give good gifts to those who ask him? I read it like this. So if you, Daniel, sinful person as you are, know how to give good gifts to your son, Joel, how much more will your heavenly Father give good gifts to those who ask? This is the message of Christmas. The greatest gift to humanity is Jesus Christ and his love for us. The father said that his son was dead. When he came back, what did he say? What did he declare to the rest of his house? This, my son, was dead. The father counted his son as dead. Lost, gone, finished, dead. Dead isn't dead. Dead isn't dead as a doornail. That's it. He's done. (laughs) But do you know that the rest of the message of Christmas is completed at Easter? The rest of the message of Christmas comes to fruition at Easter when the power of God comes, the resurrection power of God comes upon Jesus and brings the death of the Son of God back to life to show that our God has power over the grave. And so when Jesus tells the story and says, the Father says, my son was dead, but now he is alive. What is that situation in your life that you think it's dead, it's hopeless, there's no way this is changing? With man, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. I was reminded of this song called When God Ran, because this father ran, 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 ran to his son. And the lyrics of this this old song, When God Ran, the day I left home, I knew I'd broken his heart, and I wondered then if things could ever be the same. Then one night, I remembered his love for me. And down the dusty road ahead, I could see it was the only time The only time I ever saw him run. And then he ran to me. And he took me in his arms. Held my head to his chest. Said, my son's come home again. Lifted my face. Wiped the tears from my eyes. With forgiveness in his voice. He said, son, do you know? I still love you. One of the greatest revelations that Jesus gives to us. One of the greatest revelations that Jesus gives to us during his time here on earth is the revelation of the goodness of the Father. It's the revelation of the nature of the Father. It's beautifully seen in the life of Jesus. It's beautifully seen in his communication with the Father. Timothy Keller says about this parable that Jesus redefines God, Jesus redefines sin, and he redefines salvation. And he helps us to see the nature of God, the nature of what sin is, even in this older brother who had, didn't have probably the list of sins that we could write, but he was holding on to his own self-righteousness and redefined salvation. Can you see it by the reaction of the father in this story? Can you see it by the sinfulness of both the brothers? Our heart must long for God not for what we can get from him, but because of what it cost him to make us children of God. 
Our hearts should long for God, not for what we can get out of the relationship, but because of what it cost him to make us children of God. And the end of the story, the, the father tells the older brother, he says, all that I have is yours. And, and then he, you know, Jesus is, Jesus is the great master storyteller. He leaves us on a cliffhanger, right? He tells the older son, all that I have is yours. End of story. We don't see what happens. Does the older son reconcile with the younger brother? Does the older son go back inside? Because here's the thing. There is a price to, pray, to pay. And Timothy Keller, in, in his book, The Prodigal God, he talks about this, and he says that as Jesus tells the story, we're left longing for the true older brother. See, we're left on this, on this cliffhanger. What does the older brother actually do? Because there's a price to pay for the son to come back. When, Jesus, when, when the father says, son, welcome back, put a robe on him, put a ring on his finger, sandals on his feet, let's slay the fatted calf, let's celebrate, there's a price to pay. And who's paying the price? Who owns everything now? The older brother. He's the boss. He's the one in charge. The father said, everything I have, son, is yours. And then we're left on this cliffhanger. What does the older brother do? In this series, we're, we're looking at the perspective of the older brother. We've looked at the perspective of the younger brother, the perspective of the father. There's one more person in the story. Do you know who that is? It's the master storyteller. It's Jesus the true older brother. We're left with this story, longing for a true older brother who will pay the price. We're left with this story with this older brother who is, oh, I don't want to have anything to do with this guy. He's so mean, doesn't want to celebrate his own brother. And we're left with a longing. We're left with, with a desire. Is there still a true older brother that will pay the price for the younger son to be accepted back in. And that's the master storyteller. That's the son of God. That's the king of the universe. That's Jesus who came into this world and paid the price. See, the true older brother, what should he have done? When the son left his father's house, the true older brother should have gone to the father and said, the, or the older brother should have gone to the father and said, Father, I see what this, this, your younger son had done, my younger brother. Let me go out and bring him back in. Let me be the good older brother to go out and bring him back in. Let me go to him and show him the way that he's been lost. Let me help him to realize your love, my father. But he doesn't do that. And so we're left in this story longing for the true older brother to stand up. We're left in the story, and Jesus leaves us on the cliffhanger. As in the story of Cain and Abel, when, Abel, when Cain asks, am I my brother's keeper rhetorically? Yes, you are your brother's keeper. Yes, we are our brother's keeper. And in this week, will we be the true older brothers? 
Will we follow the example of Jesus as the true older brother who sacrificed his life and came into this world to die for the sins of humanity so we might have life? This is why we celebrate Christmas. Worship team, please come. This is the meaning and the reason for Christmas. This is the true older brother that went out to seek and save his lost younger brother. As Jesus tells the story, we're left in awe and wonder and wondering what is this older brother going to do? And the rest of the story is told by Jesus' own life as the true older brother who sacrifices his life so that the younger brother can come back in. The true older brother lays everything down so that the younger brother can come back in. And in this week of Christmas, let's be that true older brother. Let's be the light of Christ. Let's be the ones that love our younger brothers and sisters and share the message of Christmas and the message of the gospel. Remember the love of the true older brother as a reflection of the love of that good, good father.